Dear Elliot, right now you are two months from being born. We just found out that you have trisomy 18, also called Edwards syndrome. Doctors tell us that you won't likely make it to birth. Your mom and I are praying against that. We're praying for healing. We are praying for nothing less than a miracle. You're our first child, and the day of your birth couldn't come sooner. Dear Elliot, you were born today weighing in at six pounds. You are already a miracle to us. Your mom is doing well, and it looks like we'll be hanging out here at the hospital a little longer. Dear Elliot, today you turned 11 days old. We are so proud of you. Today we celebrated your 11th birthday. In fact, we do that every day at 4.59, the time you were born. Dear Elliot, We've been home for a week now, so that's why you don't see your nurses anymore. It's great to have you home. Today, I think we'll pack up everything and take our first venture out for coffee. Dear Elliot, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're connected to some tubes. The doctors say we have to keep these in so you can get oxygen to breathe. You are also fed through a feeding tube. We feed you every three hours, and it takes an hour and a half to do it. We've loved learning how to best take care of you. We love it. Lots of people email, call, and send cards on your behalf. You're well loved. It's 11 at night right now and my feeding shift has just begun. Mom is asleep and the best part of my day has begun. My shift ends around 4.45 a.m. when your mom takes over. She cherishes her mornings with her boy. Today you turn one month old. I didn't know if I'd ever get to say that. To top off the day, 20 friends showed up at the door for a true surprise birthday party for you. They sang, brought balloons, and a birthday cake. It was beautiful chaos. At 2 a.m. this morning, your feeding tube came out. We had been warned this may happen eventually. We quickly realized we did not have a stethoscope, which was necessary to replace the tube. Since our neighbor was a nurse, I went ahead and knocked on their door at 2.30 a.m. They found their stethoscope, and your mom went to it. After much wrestling, praying, and your tears, the tube was down, and you were able to feed. Just so you know, your mom is my hero. Dear Elliot, you now weigh seven pounds, three ounces. You're growing, and your food has been bumped up because of your good appetite. You continue to find new ways to steal our hearts. Dear Elliot, today marks two months of your life. Your mom and I are so thankful we know you. We know your face, your noises. We know that bath time and massage are your favorite daily activity. You finally learned how to suck your thumb by yourself. Because of trisomy 18, you were born with clenched fists, and being able to do this is actually quite difficult. Way to go, son. Dear Elliot, we celebrate your birthday every day with a picture. Lately, we've tried to get a bit more creative. Dear Elliot, I realize you can get frustrated with your tubes and your frequent congestion. Please know that your mom and I are doing everything we can to make you comfortable. Dear Elliot, well, you tipped the scales today at eight pounds, 14 ounces, quite an accomplishment. You also have managed to grow a pretty decent mullet. Dear Elliot, we all got to go to a reunion at the hospital. I've never seen your mom more happy. The joy she felt getting to show off her son can't be described with words. In fact, she compared it to the way a mother would feel when her son becomes president or wins a Heisman or develops a cure for cancer. The logic of medicine says you shouldn't be alive, 
that you are. You are such a fighter. Dear Elliot, you have now passed the three-month mark. You also got your first cordless pictures taken today. No feeding tube, oxygen, or stickers. This was no small accomplishment, but we got it done. Have I told you lately that we are so proud of you? Dear Elliot, today you went to be with Jesus. An underdeveloped lung, a heart with a hole in it, and DNA that placed faulty information into each and every cell of your body could not stop God from revealing himself through a child who never uttered a word. Not a pulpit, not a slick presentation, not a best-selling book, but a six-pound boy with trisomy 18. God found great pleasure to take a lowly thing in the eyes of the world and show truth. At your funeral, we released 99 balloons, each balloon representing a day of your life. How beautiful it was to watch, how quickly they were gone. And so today, we celebrate. Elliot, you are well, and although we miss you more than we can express, we're only separated from you by our time left on earth. See you soon, son, mom and dad. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brothers and sisters, when you have many kinds of trouble, you should be full of joy. Because you know that these troubles test your faith and will give you patience. So let your patience show itself perfectly in what you do. And then you, you will be perfect and complete and will have everything that you need. But if any of you needs wisdom, you should ask God for it. For he is generous to everyone and will give you wisdom without criticizing you. But when you ask God, you must believe and not doubt. For anyone who doubts is like the wave in the sea blown up and down by the wind. And such doubters are thinking two different things at the same time, and they cannot decide about anything that they do. They should not think that they will receive anything from the Lord. Believers who are poor should take pride that God has made them spiritually rich. And those who are rich should take pride that God has made them spiritually poor. That the rich will die like the wildflower in the grass, for the sun raises with burning rises with burning heat and dries up the plants and the flower falls off and its beauty is gone in the same way the rich will die while they are still taking care of business. And when people are tempted and continue strong, they should be happy for after they have proved their faith, God will reward them with life forever. And when people are tempted, they should not say that God is tempting me. For evil cannot tempt God and God himself does not tempt anyone, but people are tempted when their own desire leads them away and traps them. For their desire leads them to sin, and sin grows and brings death. Brothers and sisters, do not be fooled about this. For every good action and every perfect gift is from God. And these good gifts come down from the creator of the sun, the moon, and the stars. And does not change like their shifting shadows. For God decided to give us life through the word of truth so that we might be the most important of all things that he has made. This weekend we start a brand new series called Plain James. 
And over the next several weeks, we're going to walk through the book of James. A few things about James that you need to know is that James was written to Christ followers. It was written to Christians. It was written to people who have faith in Jesus Christ. James, the author of this book, is actually the younger brother of Jesus. Jesus' younger brother wrote this book to first century Christ followers. And James is probably one of the most direct, full-on, no-holds-barred books in the New Testament. He is the most plain-spoken of all the books that we, that we have. And James doesn't deal with Sunday morning Christianity, but rather he deals with, with Monday morning Christianity. He talks about Christianity in shoe leather, what it means to live this life unto God and to finish the race strong. And so today we're talking about trials and temptations. And, and it's interesting to me because James deals with this subject right out of the gate. Just kind of says hello and then boom, just like that video did. It's the reality in which we live. And let me make a statement for everybody to understand about today's message. We, every one of us, all, A-double-L-L, deal with trials and temptations. Everybody in this room deal with trials and temptation. Every person in this room will go through, has gone through, or will in, in the future go through trials and temptation. It is part of being a citizen on planet Earth. It's part of being in the human race. It is part of what we deal with. And the reason why is because we live in a fallen, sin-sick world. Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 records the fall of man and records how sin entered the world. And, and, and how, it, how from that point until now, we live in this sin-sick world. And you may think, man, that just sounds like O-line, clothesline, old-timey preaching Christianity. I didn't write it. It's in the book. And I understand that sounds like a Sunday school theological answer that's just real neat and pat, but it's not. It's messy, it's complicated, and James understood this. And so he talks about, let's deal with this subject of trials. Let's deal with the subject of temptation. Let's talk about what we do. And so that's where he begins, and that's where we're going to begin today. First thing he deals with is trials. Trials are the trouble in life that happen on, from the outside. Trials are the trouble in life that come from the outside. These are things that you and I have no control over. These are things that, that come into our lives that are, that are unwarranted, that, that are unwanted. They're, they're things that we all, and we all go through trials. We go, all go through trouble that we have no control over, that we have no ability to really stop or control. We're pretty much at its mercy in many ways. He tells us how to handle trials. He says that trials are to be endured. Trials are to be endured. Trials are not something that we run from. It's something that we embrace. It's not something that we, we like, but it's something that we endure. And anybody that tells you, oh, I'm happy there's a trial in my life, they're messed up. Can I just tell you that? They are jacked in the brain. But as a Christ follower, we know that we can endure and we know that that endurance does something for us. The Bible says right there in verse 4, it makes us perfect. That enduring these trials of life through him, that we grow, that we mature. That word perfect means to grow, to mature, to develop. That when trials come into my life as a Christ follower, I know they come in for a reason. I know they're not there to destroy me. They're there to help me. Now let me say this. Because when the world, people that are far away from God, and maybe you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't have this hope that we have in Christ. It's not because of us, it's because of him. But that when trials, things on the outside, trouble from be, from on the outside that come to me, I can know that, number one, God's still in control. 
I can know that I can endure that because that's what he's asked me to do. And the Bible says of itself that God will never ask us of what we don't have the ability to do. He'll never put more on us than what we can carry. And I also know that the endurance of that trial, that patience, that perfection, that maturity, that growth will produce character in my life. And that character is what will help me see God. Does that make sense? And so the deal is, is that when I face a trial, although I don't like it, although I'm not happy about it, at the same time, I can still have peace that God is bringing or allowing something to come into my life that's going to develop me, that on the other side of this trial, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be more of an overcomer. And I can tell you, having lived almost 40 years on this planet, that I trust God more today than I did when I was 18 because there's been a few things in the last 20, 20 plus years that I've had to walk through that God has proven himself to me relationally. God has proven himself to me in my life that's developed my faith and my trust in him. And I can tell you that probably based upon the past, that should I have 10 more years on this planet, that 10 years from now, I'll be closer to the Lord. And because I will have endured and gone through trials. Now, if I shirk those trials, if I run from those trials, they crush me. If I embrace them, they grow me. The average age at Life Church of, of our adult congregation is about 38. So that means the majority of the people in this room today are 40 and under. And let me say something to you that Dr. Mike Rakes, who pastors in, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, said to me once that I'll never forget. He said, Aaron, the first 40 years of a man's life is about character development. And the last 40 years of his life is about achievement based off of character. Our world says totally the opposite. Our world says you go, go strong, you do everything, try to retire by 40, try to retire by 50. You do everything that you can do because there's going to come a day you're not going to feel like doing anything. So go, 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 go. But God's word says, no, 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 no. Let's develop character first. Let's start with the foundation first. Let's grow you first. Let's develop you first. Let's mature you first. And then when you're able to stand, then you'll be able to achieve and grow. Jesus Christ himself didn't begin his public ministry till 30. He was the son of the living God. He was Alpha, Omega, beginning and end, first and last, that which was and forevermore and forevermore shall be. He was God. Yet even he and of himself submitted himself, took up a trade and learned and went through the growth of the character and the maturation process. We see it over and over and over and over again through Scripture. And so when these trials come into our life, especially those of us that are young in this room, don't run from it. I'm not saying you should be happy about it, but don't run from it. Embrace it and endure it. So how do you endure it? That's the question. How do I walk through a trial correctly? Well, James tells us. First of all, he says, have the right attitude. I may not be able to to pick the trial, but I can pick my attitude. I have the ability to choose my own attitude. Don't you tell that to your children? You choose your attitude. You choose your attitude. You choose whether you are going to, to, be, to, 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 to be pleasant or whether you're going to be sour. You, you, you choose what your attitude is going to be. And so I would say to all of us, James says in verse 2, count it pure joy. Be full of joy, brothers and sisters, when you, when you encounter trials and tribulations. Now, he's not weird. He's not jacked up. He's, what he's talking about is the differences in the world that we live in. It's a pursuit of happiness. Every Super Bowl ad you're going to see today is about pursuing happiness. They tell you that you can move to a house that will bring happiness, that you can marry happiness, that you can drink your way to happiness, that you can eat your way to happiness. I've tried that. It doesn't work. And, and that you can do all of these things that, that, oh, it's so, so cold and wintry in Wisconsin. But there's a place where the waters are blue and the sand is white and the breeze is gently flowing and you can be there. 
Can I tell you that happiness is a euphoric emotional feeling that comes and that goes. And that wherever you are, in the words of Austin Powers, there you are. It's true. And that if you move to that beautiful isle of, of palm trees and white sand and, 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 and blue, blue ocean, you would say to yourself, Self, I'm missing the snow. It's Christmas. I know you don't think that now, but I'm telling you, you would. Because there's something strange and morbidly wrong with Christmas and palm trees. I don't know what it is, but it is. He's not saying pursue happiness. He's saying pursue joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Happiness is not a fruit of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit, their character, their, their, their development, their growth, their maturation, their things, joy and hope, and I mean, joy and peace and love and, and patience and long-suffering and self-control. And the Bible says of itself, with these things, there's no law, there's no limit. These are life-producing fruits in your life, life-producing characteristics of your life. So pursue these things. And what he's saying to us is when you find yourself in trouble that happens from without, count it pure joy because God is wanting to develop you to take you to a whole nother level. Have a right attitude. The next thing he tells us is, ask God for help or for insight. Verse 5. If you have questions, ask God. If you need wisdom, ask God. I don't know what it is about our Christianity, our ideology, but we think if we ask God, we're going to upset him. Can I just kind of give you a 411 on that? God knows the very thoughts in your mind. He knows a number of hair on your head. You're not going to surprise him. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what's going on inside of you, probably even better than you know yourself. So ask him. It's okay to say, God, why is this going on? Lord, what am I supposed to do? God, I feel like I'm doing everything I can to endure this trial, and it just gives deeper and deeper. Have I done something to offend you? God, is there something wrong with me? Search my soul. Have you read the book of Psalms? David, it's a, it's a collection, and most of which David wrote. These are anguish. God, why are my, ceiling, my, my prayers bouncing off the ceiling? Why, why do you not hear me? God, why, do, why are the righteous forsaken and yet the, the unrighteous flourish? God, why am I? It's okay. You're not going to upset God with asking him why and what and how. And God, give me strength and give me wisdom and give me patience. Because when you ask of him those things, you're saying to him, God, you're the answer. You're the source. You're the one I need to look to. So God, will you help me? If we don't ask him for those things, we, and we only ask ourselves, or we only ask friends, or we only consult people that we think can help us, we're basically saying, God, I don't need your help. God, I don't believe that you're the one that can help me through this. The very first call we should make is to him. But when you ask, the Bible says, don't doubt, you need to trust God. Through the trials of life, trust God. Now, I know that sounds like a really Pollyanna, real package, Sunday school answer. But James says this for a reason in verse 6. When you ask, don't doubt. Because when you doubt, you'll be like the waves of the sea, tossing to and fro. Up and down. This way and that way. You'll have no control in your life. And a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You ever meet someone who they're always flipping their opinion, they're always flipping their decisions? Beware of people like that. Christians or non-Christians. Remember, James is talking to, to Christians here. So the propensity of this to happen in the body of Christ is, is very real. You need to make a decision that you're going to follow Jesus. 
period. You're going to be a Christ follower, period. You're going to trust him, period. You're going to, you're going to do this, period. That's it. It's done. Made up my mind. And, and I'm going to stick with this, and I'm going to walk this out. Because what happens is it's okay to doubt the situation. Just don't doubt God. Because when you doubt God, what you're saying is, God, I don't know that you can fix this. God, I don't know that you have the ability to change this. God, I don't know really that you're God. God, I really don't know that you, God, I really don't. Whoa, 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 whoa. May not like it, express that. You may be frustrated, it's okay to say that. You may have questions, that's fine. But when you begin to doubt that he has the ability to, you begin to question whether or not he's God. Now, if you're not a Christ follower and you're kicking tires on this thing called faith, question away. Do what you want to do. But once you've made up your mind, James says, stick to your guns. Once you've made up your mind, you determine that you're going to stand for something. You know the old country song, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. It's true. It's where it comes from. A double-minded man is unstable as all his way, so trust God. And the last thing that he says, FYI, verses 9, 10, and 11, riches won't help you when it comes to trials. Riches won't help when it comes to trials. Matter of fact, the poorer you are, probably the better off you are. Because what do rich people do? Rich people try to buy their way, right? Rich people go, hey, I want that car and that color and that luxury level, and I want it in two weeks. What's it going to cost? It doesn't matter. Money's, money's no option. I, I need to fly from here to there. I need what? what it doesn't matter. I, I get the plane now. I, I want it my way right away now. I'm going to pay for this. I want this house and this color. I need this done by the holidays. I want this done. It doesn't matter the money, whatever. They try to buy their way out of it. And when rich people encounter trials, what they try to do is go, how much is this going to cost me? What, what do I got to do to get out of this? What do I gotta do? Who, who do I got to pay? Who do I got to see? Who do I need to talk to? And what James is saying is, look, your money is no good here. Everybody goes through trials. And the higher up you are, the, the bigger you longer that you got to fall. And people that are poor, they don't have anything. You're kind of blessed. But you ain't got a whole lot to lose. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, like, there was 117 of you this past year that went with us at Life Church on, on mission trip. And many of you went to a third world, to a developing nature, nation. And you saw people that didn't have anything. And if the flood comes in, it's all right. We'll get some more sticks together and we'll make another house. And, and, and if the winds blow it down, we'll get some more cardboard from over here and some metal we found from over here and we'll scrap it together. And it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't have a bathroom. It's a hole. It's a ground, hole in the ground and that's it. And we'll find food and we'll be okay. Why? I don't have anything. And you wonder why you can see after a disaster a few days and people are living in a tent or they're living in some type of humanitarian aid that's been given to them by some organization, and they're smiling, the kids are playing. Why? Because they didn't have a whole lot to begin with in the first place. And James says, look, your money can't buy you out of this. Your influence can't get you out of this. There's not some priority line that you can call that you can get evacuated from the trial. You have to go through it. We all go through it. Now, he goes on to say that um, the other thing that we began to deal with is temptation. Let's talk about that for a minute. Temptation is a trouble in life from within. This is the thing that plagues us from within. These are the demons that we deal with internally. This is a trouble in life that comes from within. It comes from our own flawed sinful nature. And how are we to handle it? We are to resist it. Temptation is not to be endured. Trials are to be endured. Temptation is to be resisted. When temptation comes, you need to resist it. Uh, you, 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 you need to resist it. And why do you need to resist it? Because temptation will destroy you from the inside out. Temptation is like a cancer. It will destroy you from the inside out. It will begin to eat away at you internally, vital, vital pieces of you, before it ever pronounces itself publicly. 
And let me say this. We don't deal well with this in the church, and, I, and, and there's lots of reasons why, but we all deal with temptation. Every person in this room deals with temptation. Everybody has something or some things that they're tempted by. Maybe it's big things that everybody talks about, like sexual t- temptation or deviancy. Maybe it's drugs or alcohol or some type of a life-controlling addiction. Maybe it's things like fear and rage, anger, jealousy, greed, envy. Maybe it's gossip. I don't know what you deal with, but we all, myself included, deal and are tempted. Jesus himself was tempted. Your sweet grandmother, God rest her soul, was tempted. We're not going to go there, but she was tempted. We all are tempted. And there's something about us that thinks, well, we're forgiven and well, we don't. No, 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 no. James is talking to Christ followers. He said, look, you're going to be tempted when you're tempted. Not if, not maybe, not it could happen to some of you, but not everybody. Every single one of us are tempted. And when you face temptation, don't stand, don't endure. That's what you do with a trial. Run, run. Run, run, run. When a tornado comes, hit the basement. When the tsunami comes, head for high ground. Run, run. Because the basement, you're going to drown, right? And just be stuck. You know what I'm talking about? Different emergencies call for different actions and different activities. Resist it. Get away from it. The alcoholic doesn't go to the bar and see how long he can get in a stare-down fight with the bartender. Right? The person that deals with, with, with pornography doesn't go online and just say, well, I'm just going to see if I can deal with this, how, how long I can be here. No, you're crazy fool. The person that dealing with gluttony, not that I would know anything about that, doesn't go to the buffet and go, how long can I resist and just have nice bite-sized portions. Have you ever tried that diet where they say, just eat till you're full? <laughs> there was a diet a few years ago. I just eat till I'm full, and then I, then I'll never hit that part. I don't know. So what do you do? What do you need to know about temptation? First of all, verse 13, God's not the source. God is not the source of temptation. That's why you don't need to endure it. That's why you don't need to deal with it. I mean, you, you need to get it out, because this isn't from God. The second thing is, is that our sin nature is the source of our own temptation. We are the source of our own temptation. You and I. We are not tempted by the devil. I mean, he's the tempter, but it's not the devil made me do it. It's not some demon. It's not some, oh, I need you to pray this spirit of whatever out of me. No, 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 no. Everybody say this with me. I, come on, you got to say more conviction than that. I am the problem. That's right. I'm glad you understand that. We're jacked up. Every one of us. We are, we are messed up. And for some reason, we like to blame it on somebody else. It's a blame game. I mean, when, when Eve took the bite of the forbidden fruit, she blamed it. I mean, God calls Adam and talks to Adam. Adam says Eve, and Eve says it was a snake. And the snake said, I'm the devil, so what are you going to do? I mean, <laughs> right? It's a blame game. I didn't do it. It's him. Some of, some of your kids go, who... Who broke the remote? Wasn't me. I didn't know how to even use the remote. I, I didn't know how to spell remote. I'm only five. I didn't do it, right? 
<laughs> yeah, you did. You see what I'm saying? At the end of the day, what happens is, is that, and we typically, we, we're horrible about temptation in the church because what we want to do is we like to judge each other from a place of strength. If I have no problem with alcoholism, I can look at someone that's alcoholic and go, you just need to quit. If I have no problem with sexual temptation, I look with people that deal with sexual temptation, I just go, you just need to stop. Or someone that deals with, with rage and anger, if, if, if I have no problems with that, I go, well, you just need to get a hold of yourself. But the reality is, is that we all deal with this. The reality is, is that every one of us, just like Superman, we have a kryptonite. It's called sin. And there's a particular brand, a particular make and model of sin that is more susceptible to you than other sins. And there's a typical type, there's this thing that that tempts you that more than something else. And that's your issue. That's the thing that you have to deal with. And it's your own sin nature. It's you that's the problem. So don't blame it on your neighbor. Don't blame it on your spouse. Don't blame it on, well, you know, I'm German, I'm Irish, I'm whatever. Dude, I'm from Arkansas. I don't know what I am, right? I mean, (laughs) quit blaming it on your family. The men in my family, they're just mad. No, you're jacked up. (laughs) Let me give you a little Dr. Phil moment, right? Because we like to blame it on everything. Why? Because we don't want to take responsibility. And what James is saying is, look, you're the problem. This isn't the devil. You don't need to be prayed for. You need to get a hold of yourself. Look yourself in the mirror and go, I am the issue. This sin, this flesh is the issue. And then let's deal with it. Well, how do I deal with it? Well, he says, first of all, you have to understand the temptation pattern. Verse 15. It begins with a desire, which actually goes back to a thought. And then that gives birth to sin, which is an action. And then that gives birth to death. So it's desire, sin, then death. And James is saying, look, this temptation stuff will kill you. It will eat you from the inside out like a cancer. And nobody will see it externally until you're dead. But when you're dead, you're too late. So it begins with a thought. It begins with an idea. And the fact that I'm tempted is not a sin. Jesus himself was tempted, so that's not a sin. If I receive an email and I think it's completely you know, harmless and I think it's from a friend, but come to find out it's some centerfold spread and all of a sudden I'm like, whoa! For the fact that that tempts me just means I'm human. What I do in the next few moments determines whether or not that begins a desire and from that activity begins sin and from that activity brings forth to death. If I go, whoa, 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 and I shut it down, I'm safe. I've overcome the temptation. But... If, I'm, if I see that and, I, and, and I'm engaged and I'm, I'm like, whoa, man, and, and now I go, well, let's see it from this angle and from this angle and let's go to this, then all of a sudden I'm beginning to create a desire and a lust and out of that will become a sinful action and activity and then from that will come death. For those of you in this room that you don't deal with sexual temptation or lust, you sit there with your arms crossed going, I can't believe he's talking about that right now. And I would say to you, you probably deal with gossip because here's your issue. You sit there and go, well, somebody calls you and says, well, i got to tell you about Sally. Oh, you need to pray for Sally. That's how we do it in church, right? <laughs> I'm on to your game. Remember, I was raised in this. Oh, Sally's in trouble. Mm, we need to pray for her. It's going to take me 30 minutes to tell you what we need to pray about for Sally. Because <laughs> Sally is in some deep stuff right now. It's called gossip. And the sexual deviant and the gossiper bust the same hell wide open. 
And you can say, well, that's just old lime brimstone. No, that's the word of God. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what it says. Why? Because here's the deal. Just what James is dealing with it. We're tempted by stuff. Why are you tempted by this or that? We don't know. We know it's a sin nature, but why is one flavor of sin totally benign to you and another flavor of sin totally intoxicating to you? I don't know. But here's what we do know. We know that we all are subject to temptation. We're all subject to this, so we need to deal with it. How do you deal with it? Well, I don't deal with it when I'm dead, and I want to make sure that I prevent it before I sin. And if you sin, you know, you can go to God, and he'll be faithful and just forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The problem is, is that before you sin, you've created a desire. So in order to destroy that thing, you have to go from the, from the sin issue back to the desire and deal with it there. Where does the desire start? From your thought life. That's why Romans chapter 12 talks, talks to us about renewing our mind by what? By the word of God, by the teaching of the word of God. Not just hearing the word of God, but living out the word of God, practicing the word of God, walking this out. It's an action, it's an activity. So before this, whatever it may be, rage, anger, jealousy, uh, addictions, wh- whatever it may be, before it becomes a sin in my life, it's going to begin as a desire. And so and that's going to come from my thought life. So I need to deal with the thoughts. That's why God's word says, take every thought into captivity. Take inventory of every single thought and every single desire. The next thing I would tell you when you talk about temptation is know what tempts you. Know what tempts you. If it's alcohol, don't go to a bar. Don't go to a restaurant with a bar. If it's internet pornography, cut off the internet service at your house. (gasps) How could I do that? We never lived before 1994 on the internet. If you have a problem with gossip, unplug your phone. Turn off your cell service. Say to Betty and Sue, who talk to you about Sally all the time, you can't talk to them anymore. You take your pick. Well, that's just a little bit over the top, isn't it? No, Paul says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. And if your hand offends you, then cut it off. I think what I'm talking about is a little bit more tame, a little more civilized than that. (laughs) The issue is, it's better to be maimed in this world than not make it to eternity. Well, I thought, man, that when I give my life to Jesus Christ, that's it. You didn't buy fire insurance to keep your rear end out of jail, out of hell. You bought fire. You you gave your life to Jesus Christ because you wanted to change. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And you want life and life to the full. And so it's more than just trying to skate my way through this life on some thin margin, hoping that when I see God that he'll recognize me. And then I go to heaven. It's about living this life for him to the fullness that I possibly can. And I'm telling you, if all this stuff was, was if all the Bible was, was, was uh, fire insurance to keep you out of hell, I would just tell you that. But the reality is, is the word of God is the very best way for you to live your very best life now. And your very best life unto God, your very best life with your family, with your friends. It's the way to live. It's a way to sleep at night. It's the way to, 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 to have a worry-free life that we all want and that we all desire. But it doesn't come easy, and it's not cheap. Jesus paid a price. We get to receive it for free. But living it out will cost you your life. That's the reason why Jesus says, before you follow me, count the cost. We're not talking about cheap grace or Christianity here. We're talking about a life that's completely surrendered to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to invade my life, to convict me of sin, and to comfort me when I need to have the grace and the comfort of the Lord. And so what that means is that when I give my heart and life to Jesus Christ and I say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, forgive me of all my sins, all my righteousness, I make you my personal Lord and Savior, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, I've just began the next step. Am I going to heaven? Yes. 
Is God in the heavenlies with some eraser every time that I do something wrong? He erases my name from the, from the list that gets to go to heaven? No. But can I turn away and walk away from this and say, forget you, God? Yes, because I am a free moral agent. I have the ability to choose if I'm going to love him and I'm going to serve him or I'm not. God didn't want to force you or I to do anything. That's why people go, well, I can't believe God would make us do that. He didn't make you do anything. Go on with your big bad self. Take your own chances. Mm, Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. But God calls you and I to be a people without spot and without wrinkle. He calls us to be people that walk pure and holy before him. Not because we're righteous, but because he's righteous. Not because I'm good, but because he's good. But in that, I've got to do everything that I can to embrace the trials of life and to resist the temptations. And where I am weak, he becomes strong. Make sense? It's balance. I do everything that I can do, and I leave what I cannot do unto him. That's the sovereignty of God. I pray, is everything de- I pray because everything depends upon him, and I work as though everything depends upon me. Th- th- this church, the growth of a local church, doesn't just happen. If it just happened, then every church would grow. It grows because you have people that serve here as a staff. You've got people that serve here as volunteers. You have people that work together and come together. There are 50 people on a given weekend to pull a service off that volunteer and that work to give of their time, their talent, and their treasure. And they're working as everything depends upon them. But we're all praying because we know it ultimately depends upon him. It's the same way in your life, the same way in your business, the same way in your marriage. I do everything I can to love my wife and to, and, and to, and to honor my children and to bless them and do everything I can. But where I come up short, I pray for his grace and for his mercy. I do everything that I can in my work and in my business. To work is because everything, to, is, everything depends upon me, but I pray, oh God, without your favor, I won't get to see what needs to be done. and I, I, I won't get to accomplish what you want me to accomplish. And so, Lord, help me and give me strength. It's that whole balance. And, and, and so, so James is talking here. Know what tempts you. Deal with the reality. Deal with the issues. Deal with the things in life. And the last thing that he says is that God gives us the power to overcome temptation by his word. That's the power of the Bible. Through the word of God, we have the ability to overcome temptation. Now, let me say this. Just knowing, like, be able to regurgitate scripture, memory verse, isn't going to help you. I know you were told that it does. If you can just hear enough of God's word, it will change you. I mean, some of you are going, oh, no, I don't know about this. You're going to have to explain this one to me here. I, I think you're a little bit misled, young man. Well, Jesus said of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day in the first century, that they were men who could recite the Old Testament from memory. They were men that, could, that, 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 that knew the law backward and forth. They were men that when they received a, a spices... They would, they would tithe off of the spice. If I gave you a thing of salt and pepper, you would take 10% of that. And you see how OT that is? I mean, that's just insane, right? right? But yet they completely didn't see the Messiah. They completely missed. Because they understood it cognitively, but they didn't, that they didn't apply it to their life. The application of God's word is what will change you. The practice of his word is what will see you through. It's not the knowledge. There's a lot of people that know. It's not, that Satan himself knows. The Bible says that the demons in hell tremble at the very name of Jesus. Why? Because they know. They get it. They, they got the score. They know it. But they don't live it. And the difference between them and us is that we're not only able to hear it, but we're able to put it into our lives and practice it. And it's that word of God that will bring us life. It's that word of God that will see you through temptations. Because the word of God says that when the enemy of your soul and my soul comes in like a flood, when temptation comes in like a flood, 
Submit yourself unto God. Oh God, right now in the name of Jesus, I just submit myself. If there's anything that I'm not doing, if there's anything that's not pleasing, God, I give you everything completely. Surrender. I surrender all. Submit yourself unto God. Resist the, resist the devil. How do I resist the devil? Satan, in the name of Jesus, not because of my power and my authority, I resist you. You go, well, that's a little super spiritual. That's how Peter, James, and John did it. I'm just telling you how they did it. I resist the devil in the name of Jesus. And God, I cru- take, crucify my flesh because I know that I could be involved in this. Not by my own will or volition, but just because I'm, I'm in this sinful state. And then the Bible says, then God will raise up a standard against the enemy. Then he will protect you. Every single time. So when that rage comes over you as you're driving down the, the 43 going south into the city to your job. And that guy cuts you off and gives you the Hawaiian hello. And you say to yourself, self, I'm fixing to pull this. And you'd say fixing in that moment. Pull this car over and I'm going I'm to follow him. I'm going to pull a full can out on him. Stop. And in that moment, say, God, this anger and this rage, I give it to you. And I submit myself to you. Satan, you are tempting me to go way over the top. And I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I stand upon your word and your word says that it's your word that will put a stop to the temptations of life. I ask for your peace in the name of Jesus. You go, that's a lot to think about. Well, after you do it a few times and if you've got an issue, it'll, it'll come pretty, pretty quick. You'll, you'll be able to kind of walk through that thing pretty quick and it won't be so mechanical. You'll get it pretty easy. But the first few times, you have to walk yourself through that process. That's how you overcome You don't sit there and try to endure it. You don't sit there and try to be stronger than it. You don't sit there and act like you don't have it. Because I'm telling you, we all have junk. We all have issues. We all have problems. But he's made a way of escape. 